1: Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Orlando is here with me. And there's no other place to start this episode than with what happened Tuesday night in Las Vegas inside Orleans Arena. Final score, Gonzaga 88, BYU 78, but it was not easy. The top-ranked and undefeated Zags. We're down by as many as 14 points by definition on the ropes. Their undefeated record at real risk for the first time this season. Their chance at history slipping away like your morals sometimes do in Sin City. But Gonzaga outscored BYU 47-25 in the second half. Corey Kispert made four threes. Jalen Suggs made four threes. The Zags ended up shooting 50.9% from the field. They won by double digits. So they are just the 20th team in history. And Gonzaga is just the 16th school in history to enter the NCAA tournament with a zero in the loss column. Dead leg. Did you ever think, even for a minute, that Gonzaga was taking a loss Tuesday night?
0: Uh, I thought about it. I thought it was certainly on the table. I didn't think it was going to happen. I dropped a a poll. Did you vote in the poll when I dropped it?
1: I have not voted in any poll lately.
0: Okay, no polls. Um, I asked Twitter, "Hey, what's what's how's this going to end?" When it was halftime, fifty three forty one. And uh, and BYU was up and shooting. I mean, shooting seventy percent from three point range and just out of its mind. I uh, said, "Okay, let's let's predict. Uh, let's predict how this is going to end here." And I said, "BYU is going to win. Gonzaga will win by one to five. Gonzaga will win by six to ten, or Gonzaga will win by eleven plus." And had about eleven hundred people responding uh, in about ten minutes before I closed the poll, so we couldn't have people sneaking in. You know, twelve minutes to go in the second half, and the plurality of voters uh, won. Thirty-five percent was the was the largest uh, contingent. It was six to ten points. It was ten points indeed. So, congrats, uh, congrats on that. I thought it would wind up. I said this in Slack. I got evidence. I thought they were going to win by nine. They won by ten. They got it done, undefeated. Great on BYU to uh, make it close. You know, weirdly, I think BYU's now. It would have almost been better if it got roasted by thirty-five. Parish have a chance to maybe dip down to the ten line. I think it kind of locked itself in the eight-nine, which is a would. Which is not an ideal place. I mean, all the four one-seeds are going to be really, really good. Now, they're not going to face Gonzaga. We know that's not going to be where they're at. But now I think they for sure are going to be in that eight-nile. Well, not for sure, but I think that's where they'll land. Uh, And potentially they're going to be a nightmare situation for another one-seed caliber team in the second round if they can win a game. Uh, So we'll wait and see on that. The big picture is that Gonzaga will enter the NCAA tournament as the 20th team in history with an undefeated record. This quite obviously is a great thing for college basketball for the NCAA tournament. It becomes the biggest story. The The tournament returning itself after a two-year break is a huge deal and, and there's going to be a, so much interest, excitement around all of that. But you add in an undefeated Gonzaga team trying to, you know, do what hasn't been done in 45 years. Uh, big time stuff. I actually, you know, the tournament would have been fine without it, parish, but it, it's, it's in a way better spot, obviously, clearly, by having having Gonzaga have a bagel in the lost column still.
1: There's no question. I mean, that that'll be, you know, Gonzaga is the story of this NCAA tournament. Other stories might emerge. In fact, I'm certain they will, but heading in Gonzaga being undefeated with a chance to finish 32 and 0 to be an undefeated national champion. First one since 1976. That That is the dominant story entering this, this NCAA tournament real quick on BYU. Isn't it statistic? It's interesting the way the bracket works. Like, Obviously, if you're an 8-seed or a 9-seed, you have a a better chance of winning your first game in the NCAA tournament. But isn't it true that if you're a 10 or 11 or 12, you actually have a better shot of going to the Sweet 16 from there than you do from the 8-9 because you avoid that one seed? It's it's not um, impossible, but it is uncommon for the winner of the 8-9 game to actually get to the, the Sweet 16. When you start there you're basically playing for one win and then it's time to go home.
0: Yeah, I mean, every so often we do have an eight or nine pull off an upset, um, which makes the tournament a lot of fun. I don't have the data in front of me right now. Uh, our listeners are incredible. If you want to get back to GP and I on this, we, by no means am I assigning homework, but I'd actually specifically be curious, what's the success rate on getting to the Sweet 16 if you are an eight or a nine or a 10? Like a seven seed, obviously, you know, there's a there's a difference. But if, you're, if you'd rather be a 10 or an eight or nine, which of those has a better success rate I'm inclined to say the ten, but the ten's got to beat the seven too. We're uh, we're allowing room. For ain't bowl.
1: nobody scared of a seven. Ain't nobody scared of a seven. Uh,
0: I know. I'm just saying, like, cause I, you know that the seven ten combo is without a doubt more successful than the eight nine. We know that. I'm curious specifically if you are the ten seed, are you more likely to get through? You bring up an interesting uh, query there. They are a good team. They were. They were. They played. They played loose. Gonzaga did its thing. Um, I'm just going to jump in right now and and say that you know. Jalen Suggs can be, you made a, I I, I don't think you've made this point on the podcast, so maybe you made it on your radio show, but your uh, analogy from Tuesday night, I hadn't thought about it specifically, but it's right on. Uh, Jalen Suggs is not as athletic as Derrick Rose was at Memphis. He's awesome. He's a wonderful player. He's plenty athletic. Like Derrick Rose is one of the three or four freakiest college basketball players I think I've ever seen. He was just insane, but because he deferred to Memphis for most of that regular season and everyone knew that he was the dude, and then tournament time came and he took over, I can see you're basically, you made the case that, like, we could well see this with Jalen Suggs. Like, once it means something in the tournament and everything's on the line, like, Corey Kispert's been awesome. He got him back in the game on Tuesday night. Drew Timmy has been, at worst, a second-team All-American. Andrew Nemhard, Joel Ayayi, these are wonderful, really good players that on their own, any of those dudes can't be the guy in a game. But Suggs showed us in a big moment when an undefeated season was on the line why he needs to go in the top three of this year's NBA draft and why he is just simply that dude. I He is... He might be my favorite player to watch in college basketball this season. And I love your analogy. I think there is a good chance we could look up by the time we get to the final four and say in either one or two games prior to that, you know, Gonzaga really won this because Suggs decided it was his team and he was taking over.
1: Right. I didn't mean to compare Jalen Suggs to Dick because I got a lot of in my mentions like, well, you know, D. Rose was more athletic. Like, yes, I know D. Rose is more athletic. D. Rose is more athletic than 99.99999% of of humans ever. I, I got it. Uh, What I meant is that if you go back and watch that 2007-2008 Memphis team, Chris Douglas-Roberts was the star of the team. Chris Douglas-Roberts was the first team All-American. Derek Rose, uh, this is crazy, and it was crazy in real time. I said it in real time, but it's even crazier with the benefit of hindsight, but it happened. There were Memphis fans debating in December whether Andre Allen or Derek Rose should be the starting point guard. That, that, that's how that's how not unbelievable Derrick Rose was from the jump. And it obviously wasn't it had nothing to do with his ability. He just sort of deferred to the upperclassmen like he just sort of he didn't come in and try to be the guy. He was joining an elite eight team that returned four starters. And he was just like, I'll just be, you know, I'll just be a part of this team. But when the NCAA tournament came. He he flipped a switch. I think because Cal told him it's time to go. Like you're 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 the most talented dude in this country. Go go be that guy. And he ran through every point guard they put in front of him. It was if I remember, it was Michigan State. I believe with Drew Neitzel. he just destroyed him.
0: Poor Drew Neitzel.
1: Ooh. Then it was Texas with DJ Augustine, just destroyed him. Then it was UCLA with. Darren Collison, I hope I'm getting these right, just destroyed him. If you go back and look at Derek's NCAA tournament run, game by game, he put together one of the great individual NCAA tournaments in modern history. He destroyed people. And so when I mention Jalen Suggs in that, in the same sentence with Derrick Rose last night, what I mean is that I could easily envision Suggs being the dominant player for Gonzaga on this NCAA tournament run, even if he hasn't been the dominant player for Gonzaga all reason all season, and for the exact same reason, because he's kind of deferred to the. I don't even know if it's intentional, but like he's just sort of fit in as opposed to 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 you know taking over. But last night when they needed him to take over, he took over. He's clearly capable. I, I think we could look up after the Final Four, same way we looked up after the 2008 Final Four. Only difference being Gonzaga's a champ, Memphis was not. And we say not only is Jalen Suggs the most talented guy on that team, he was the main reason they won a national championship. He was the main reason they won six games in this bracket and he's now got to be in the conversation for number one overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft. I- I'm predicting that type of performance from him.
0: He is a stud. By the way, what Gonzaga pulled off uh, was the third best comeback after halftime uh, since Mark Few took over. Uh, credit to ESPN for this. I did see it on their stats and info page. 12-point come from behind win. The only two that were bigger. In 2000, they came back from 13 down to beat Pepperdine and an 01, a 16-point halftime deficit. Otherwise, all things considered, um, uh, an, an impressive rally. I did think they were going to pull out the win parish, but you know BYU did make it genuinely interesting. There's no doubt about it. And when I went on HQ Tuesday, late Tuesday night after the game... I got asked, you know, as would be a natural question for this kind of thing, like, was this what something Gonzaga needed? Well, Mark Few answered that, because he his answer probably means the most, and he said, yes, we needed this. We acknowledged the undefeated season in the locker room afterward, but getting this kind of push uh, was something that was better for us. And I agree, because Gonzaga has scratches on its skin now, and and maybe those uh, those will still be fresh when it gets to the tournament. Because remember— they're done Tuesday night. They're, they're sitting until at least next Friday, Parrish. Like they still have a longer wait than most other teams are going to play on Saturday and Sunday of, the, of, this, of this weekend here. And so having your most recent game be a truly urgent situation against a team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament I think does benefit them, and they can say they got a real challenge because they had not received one since they played Iowa. I mean, Virginia didn't even give them a game the day after Christmas. It had been that long since they got a true push.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was important. And and Mark, like you said, acknowledged as much. You know, you get in that NCAA tournament setting, like game pressure is a real thing. And they got to feel some game pressure last night. It wasn't the same type of game pressure. Like if they would have lost to BYU in the West Coast Conference Tournament title game, their season wouldn't have been over. They would have still been a one seed. They would have lost the chance at at history, history being undefeated national champions, but everything else still in play. So it wasn't the same type of game pressure, but it was undeniable game pressure. And you want to know how your guys will respond. Who you can rely on, and then you also want that experience under your belt, if you will, so that if you find yourself in a similar situation in the round of 32, Sweet 16, at any point in the bracket, you can you can point back to that. We've been here before. We were down double digits to a top 25 Ken Palm team, and we won by double digits. We're fine. Relax. I think anytime you can point to something from your past as an example of we've been in this spot before and we, we were fine. Relax. I think that is w- incredibly beneficial. And now Gonzaga's got that thing.
0: couple quick questions for you before we move along. Uh, one, uh, second round, Sweet 16, Elite 8. When will Gonzaga get its next game where it looks up with five minutes to go and it's in a single-digit game? Second round, Sweet 16. Because we know that's not happening in the first round. Which of those rounds do you think is most likely to, that that like, – do we go until the Elite Eight before there's five minutes to go and it's, and it's a single-digit margin?
1: My official answer is I don't know. You know, I, 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 It could come as early as the round of 32. I, I think if I had to pick one, I would say Sweet 16. But I did think this was interesting. Now, BYU is unranked in the AP poll. But BYU, I have BYU in the top 25-1. and one, And BYU was 24th at Ken Palm yesterday morning. The Cougars are now 23rd. They moved up a spot even after a loss last night. Gonzaga was a 14-point favorite over a top 25 Pomp team. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a double-digit favorite, obviously in the round of 64, clearly in the round of 32. I think also in the Sweet 16. Probably, yes. They will not be a, uh, projected to win by fewer than double digits again until at least the Elite Eight, which is obviously uh, unusual. Th- that's how That's how good this team is. Like they, they, they will be in a, in a sweet 16 game and be projected to win it by 15 points, which again is just outrageous, but, but you know, it it is the, it is the, it's the resume they put together.
0: Yep. Uh, As a heads up, I'll put this in the pod description. I had a piece go up on Wednesday detailing the 20 teams that have gone to the tournament, started it undefeated and where they ended seven have finished the season with an undefeated record. But a lot of those came well, before the modern era, before a 64 team tournament, back when the tournament was 23 team fields and 25 team fields and et cetera, et cetera. There have, there have been four previous to Gonzaga since seeding began uh, to enter the tournament and uh, NCAA tournament undefeated. Indiana State, it lost in the title game. UNLV lost in the final four when it was, you know, probably the best team in America that season. And then Wichita State lost in the second round to a Kentucky team. That you know, that's just a brutal draw, and then Kentucky lost in the final four. What I'm getting at here is ISU, uh, UNLV, and Kentucky all made at least the final four. Had Wichita State been given maybe any other eight or nine uh, team in the second round, it's it's almost certainly going to at least a Sweet 16 and probably like the the Elite Eight. It didn't get challenged much in that regular season. It was a good team. Gonzaga clearly sets up to repeat uh, the pattern here. Last question for you: Are our All-Americans, our Players of the Year, Coach of the Year, we do that after the Elite Eight and before the Final Four starts. So we will have some tournament play that will influence our voting here. Um, but if we had to submit a, a first and second and third-team All-American team today to our bosses for CBSSports.com, I would have i, I would have Corey Kispert at first-team for sure. And I don't know if I would get Timmy or Suggs on my first-team, but are we in agreement that those three are, are unquestionably – first or second team. I mean, Gonzaga has three of the 10 most important and best players in college basketball right now. Agree? Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: I I, I I think Kispert probably goes first team. I think definitely goes first team. Yeah. Although, if you go by the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings, I know. Kispert's not top 10. Timmy is number two. Jalen Suggs is number 10. But Corey Kispert is widely regarded as that team's best player. Is that fair? Yeah, he, I, he's, I, the West, he's the West Coast Conference Player of the
0: Year. And Mark Few will tell him tell you that Corey Kispert is their most important player. So okay, yes. so
1: then the Corey Kispert will by default be first team All American. And then I think, yeah, Drew, Timmy, and Jalen Suggs are both probably second team All Americans. Like, like th- three
0: Zachs. Suggs might have been here or there, but after what he did on Tuesday night, it's not arguable. He saved their undefeated season, basically. You know, not not single handedly, but he was the one that really put on top those those three pointers. There, it was just like, okay, it's game, it's done. Suggs decided it. So, uh, we'll keep that in mind going forward. Our All American teams. Some have come out this week because it's only regular season. We we find that great. We we split that balance between allowing the tournament to matter some, not be everything, but also give uh, give reference to the regular season and the reason we
1: do that is to avoid um mistakes like 2011 who was who who's you look back on that 10 years later kimba kimba's the star kimba was not the national player of the year if you would have voted on that even heading into the final four who would have been the national player of the year Kimba
0: Walker. Yeah, even have, yeah, I say, even heading into the and even heading into the final four, before they even win the title, Kimba Walker. Yes.
1: Yeah, Kimba Walker was the player of the year that year, even though he was not technically the player of the year that year. That's because too often I think people vote too early for this stuff. We're in charge of it. We can vote whenever we want. So we vote, like you said, after the Elite Eight, before the Final Four. I think that allows us to um more properly um reflect who actually mattered in any any given season. Yeah. And if the Zags do go all the way to the Final Four, it's going to be because Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert, Jalen Suggs have all been awesome or at least very good. And so I, I think at the end of the day when we make those teams, yes, we're going to have three Zags on those teams, which will be unusual but but also deserving. Let's move on. Just on the wrong side of the bubble with zero games to play. is no place to be four days before Selection Sunday, but that's where... St. Louis finds itself. Our Billikens, first team out right now, according to Jerry Palm. Deadleg doesn't give them much of a chance to make the field. Can the master of ceremonies of A-10 Media Day pre-pandemic change his mind? We'll see next. But first, Norlander, tell the folks about LinkedIn Jobs.
0: Thank you, Parrish. Things are looking up better by the week. Tournament starts next week. 2021 has been good so far, and new beginnings mean new opportunities to grow your business. If part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, LinkedIn Jobs finds the right person quickly. To make things better, your first job post is free. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. Getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. Post a job with targeted screening questions and LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. You can manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as the functions are streamlined onto one simple screen. And now you can do this all from your mobile device no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs and now you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash I again, that's linkedin.com slash I to post a job for free terms and conditions apply. All right, my dead arm compadre, St. Louis bubble team. What do you got for me here? So,
1: St. Louis is the first team out of the field right now, according to Jerry Pond. The Billikens have no games left. Their resume is their resume. Here's the resume two and two in quadrant one, two and two in quadrant two, four and two in quadrant three, six and oh in quadrant four. So, the Billikens are 14 and six overall, four and four in the first two quadrants, two additional losses falling in quadrant three. They're 37th in BPI, 45th in the net, 49th at Ken Palm, 56th at Sagarin, 64th KPI, strength of record, 63rd. Norlander and I agree. On a surface level, that's not good enough. But here's the truth. If not for those two quadrant three losses, they'd be in the field, no problem. Those losses killed them. But does it matter, should it matter, that those losses came immediately after coming off of a COVID pause? Here's the deal. St. Louis beat UMKC on December 23rd, two days before Christmas, to improve to 7-1. and one. They had wins over LSU and NC State, loan loss at Minnesota back when Everybody was losing at Minnesota. Then the Billikins go on COVID pause. They went 23 days without a practice, 34 days between games. I'm told 11 of their 15 players tested positive for COVID. 11 in a five-day span. So 11 players test positive. They don't practice at all for 23 days. Then they practice four times, start back playing. They immediately take a quarter and three loss to Dayton, then immediately take a quarter and three loss to LaSalle. Undeniably, those losses are connected to that long COVID pause. They are not representative of St. Louis's basketball team. So, here is my question: As the master of ceremonies of a ten media day pre-pandemic, will that matter enough to the selection committee to get the Billikens an at-large bid?
0: Unfortunately, those losses are representative of the St. Louis basketball team because they're going to be on the resume. I don't. I they they need to hope that because they only played 20 games that this is some sort of saving grace because they did not have the opportunity to instead of being 14 and 6 be potentially you know 17 and 6 18 and 6 and then I think it's a different situation uh, I do think that St. Louis is on the list of three or four teams that the committee will probably find the most intriguing and and potentially difficult to seed does have a win? Does have two wins over NCAA tournament teams? Has a win at home over LSU, has a win at home over Saint Bonaventure. So that is certainly something. The LaSalle, if you flip the LaSalle loss to a win, this is way more compelling to me. Palms got them as the first team out. There are no more games. I don't expect the teams that are around them to lose enough to help their their case. Um, I won't say no chance. But I just, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I'm just, listen. We have, I, I, I have
1: Billiken belts, I, I now we, we are the owners of Billiken belts. We
0: are. We are. We are indeed. But I just, as the, I know this kind of breaks your heart as the, as the pre-pandemic MC of A10 Media Day. I know it's yes. not easy here. I understand that. But it's just not. I just no, I don't think it's gonna happen. Uh, St. Louis is—I would think they're gonna get a one seed in the NIT, and then their their fate will be that they are going to be one of the four teams that, you know, is is in the is in the call up, if you will, hanging out how about in the
1: bullpen. That? How funny! How awesome would that be? That the team that had eleven players test positive in a five-day span gets all their COVID out of the way. And then it's sitting there on the Monday after Selection Sunday, and and the NCAA is like, "Come on down, Billikins. We just had to kick, we just had to kick uh, Iowa out of the tournament, or oh my something gosh.
0: like that." Yeah, I mean, we'll wait and see if that happens. But I'm glad you bring up St. Louis because they do have, they just they only have 20 games. Like a lot of these teams are going to be fortunate to get, including conference tournament play. There's going to be a lot of teams that are fortunate enough to get in 27, 28, 29 games. St. Louis is. Its inventory just isn't as much there, and so I think it's pinned against it. And um, I know you agree with me. I mean, it just it's not impossible. Tulsa, at one time, got into the tournament, and nobody saw it coming. That's uh, I, the one. That's the one. That's the one. So, uh, you know, it, it's certainly on the table. I will never say that St. Louis has a 0% chance of getting into this NCAA tournament because I don't believe that. I just don't think it's likely. I'd put it around
1: 10%. It'll come down to interpretation. I... I it, as much as it hurts me to say this as the master of ceremonies of A-10 media day pre-pandemic, I, I too think it's unlikely that St. Louis is in, but you can make a compelling argument for them. I, I think I just sort of laid one out and that Tulsa team is the one that always makes me stop short of speaking in absolutes. Cause if you remember Tulsa was in the AAC tournament, I guess it was, and they lost a game and the, one of the players was on Twitter and like somebody asked that player on Twitter, you can go back and find this. Yeah. Like, hey, are y'all in the NCAA tournament? And the player responded, no, we lost. <laughs> Even a player at Tulsa what it had yeah. given up hope that they were in the field. And then the bracket's like, and there's Tulsa. Twelve. It's like, what? How did nobody had Tulsa in? So I would never say never, but I would say unfortunately unlikely. And it really does come down to I, I do think like Sometimes sometimes things are excuses and sometimes things are explanations. I, I often, you know, as I'm explaining something to, to somebody, you know, either professionally or personally, I'll say, listen, that, that's not an, an excuse. It, it's just an explanation. And I would say that about St. Louis The the going three weeks without practicing, having 11 players test positive and then come back and lose your your next two games, which are two games, unlike any other games you lost all season. That's an explanation. The COVID pause caused Mm -hmm. that it's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. And so I do think you can point to that. But the problem, of course, for St. Louis, I think, is that everybody's got a story in this year about why they you know Duke's got a story. Kentucky's got a story. Every, everybody on the wrong side of the bubble can point to something yep. And that, that'll ultimately be the thing that probably works against them. but but as always, we'll see, you know they'll, they'll be nervous on the selection Sunday. they'll be waiting for their name. I, I've been surprised before and as as master of ceremonies, eight a- to media day pre-pandemic, I, I would I'd be thrilled to be um, surprised again. I would love to wear my Billiken belt.
0: Yeah, they—they they, got to root for everyone to, to lose here. I mean, you got to root for Duke not to do what it's not going to do, not win the ACC tournament. Like Syracuse plays NC State, they got to lose. They got to root for that. Got to lose for root for Xavier to lose against Butler. These are Wednesday games. Like it's just they need every single result to go their way, like every single one, and then they're going to have a, a chance. But it's 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 just a long shot, I'm afraid.
1: So I noticed this morning the Big East has named its player of the year, and there's three of them. We'll talk about that next, but first check this out. progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law so the big east announced its uh, official player of the year earlier today and it's three players what are we doing can we just pick a player of the year what are we doing
0: here was the uh, here was the reason i mean uh, for the first time in league history three players will share biggie's player of the year honors Seton Hall's Sandrew, Mamu and the Villanova tandem of Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Colin Gillespie tied in the voting by the league's head coaches who were not permitted to vote for their own players. You gotta you gotta you gotta run the vote back.
1: Or, 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 or no, what ing- you gotta do is do a ballot of five. Give me your top five, and then we'll we'll wait the votes and, and then and then we'll have a yeah. clear winner.
0: Like stop it with this. Change this stone. going forward. Also, like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a quick tangent here. Enough with the Big East having six players on the first team because one of them's the player of the year. I, I listen. We're recording this in real time, so I, I I haven't caught. Like, are they gonna have eight players on this freaking first team? The Pac-12 puts out a, an All Pac-12 team and it's ten dudes. Let's stop this. <laughs> stop. Like, just put five. Put five. What uh, What are we doing here? What? Why is it? Why is it got to be this complicated? Three players of the year. Congrats to all three. You're gonna get trophies, all deserved in their own regard, but. Uh, it's just James Booknight's not, not even one of the three. <laughs> he's not even one of the three. Like if I were to give it to someone, I, I I think I would give it to Jeremiah Robinson Earl narrowly over James Booknight, and he's not even in the top three. So not a good look for them. But this comes almost one year to the day after, and I say this, I say this lovingly. Because God knows I can't wait to share this photo on the one-year anniversary, maybe to the minute. This comes after every other frickin' league tournament stopped playing. And what did the biggie say? It said, Creighton, St. John's, we're rolling the balls out and we're playing this damn tournament for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then it stopped doing it. This isn't as bad as that. But it's just a weird, bizarre look. Three, you can't have to if you if these are the results that come in, you go back to the coaches, and you say, okay, now it's these three. We have a tie. Vote in order one, two, three, and then you're gonna get a you're gonna get a player of the year. You can't have this.
1: Can't have three players of the year. It's
0: ridiculous.
1: And I'm with you on the first team's got eight players. What? Come what? On. Let's pick five people, and 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 preferably let's pick. You know, something that looks like a team. That used to be one of my sticklers. Like, let's have a, a primary ball handler. Then let's have, you know, a, a another guard, a, a a real wing, and then, you know, at least one true post player. Yeah, I, you know, I know you can
0: define. I, I, these- we, we disagree on this, by the way, because modern era, as long as you got one forward, if you want to run a four-guard line up there with one forward or center, I'm, I'm with good that. with it.
1: Yeah my my rule was always could you could you reasonably play with this these five players and of course in modern basketball the answer is almost always yes
0: oh, ex- except for one yeah. did, I mean did you yeah. did you see the Big 10 The Big 10 is four bigs it's four bigs and Iyo <laughs> which by the way is deserved cuz those are the five best players you know Coburn Dickinson Garza DeSumo, and I think it was Trayvon Williams, um, or maybe it was Trey Jackson Davis. They're all willing. Like you, it, It's it's unbelievable. The Big Ten is, is the exception to the rule, by the way. I don't know how successful that team would be, but your point is well taken. We'll let Luca play two guard. Oh, man, absolutely. Oh, and by the way, uh, Biggie's got it right for, for freshman of the year, Pasha Alexander. Uh, the podcast is torn on this. Listen, Golden Gate Mike got coach of the year. How is it not Dan Hurley? Golden Gate Mike, he did a good job, but like, What? How is it not Dan Hurley? First year in the league, they're third with Booknight not playing for, what, five, six games. This is all coaches' votes, by the way. They don't... Some leagues... Every league does it differently. Some leagues combine media with coaches. Some league, I think the Big Ten actually specifically has, here's who won it on the media side, and here's who won it on the coaches' side. The Big East only does coaches' votes. And Mike... Golden Gate Mike. Legend... The legend continues to grow. Um... If you needed any more motivation for the UConn Huskies to return to the to Madison Square Garden with a chip on their shoulder, I cannot wait to watch this team play in this tournament. I mean, they are going to be fired up. I would have given it to Hurley. That's all.
1: Golden Gate Mike did go out to the Bay Area and win that game. <laughs> that wasn't the season, though. I know, but that it, 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 it carries over.
0: Apparently it, it over. does. <laughs> that, that carries over.
1: You know, with the 10-year anniversary of uh of what, what incredible moment today is 10 year anniversary
0: of course i do because i was courtside at that game covering it uploaded the video to youtube in fact i'm going to drop in the audio right here on this pod so you can hear the crowd from my phone my my 2009 era android phone this is what madison square garden sounded like when kemba walker ended gary mcgee That's just, I mean, that is, that is chills. Paris, that, that was one of the, it wasn't one of the very first Big East tournament games I ever covered. And I had been to the building for, I, I had attended or whatever, but that was, that was a true in the moment. Like what we just saw, like is instantly all time legendary stuff. And again, this is before they win the national championship. It's before they even win the Big East tournament championship. But that was just uh that was amazing, amazing stuff. Kemba Walker, 10 years ago to the day at the Garden, ending Gary McGee, buzzer beater, Huskies win.
1: I watched it this morning and actually got chills. Because it's not just that the – it's not just – first off, it's Kemba waving off the screen and Kemba just asking for space. And poor Gary McGee, <laughs> he knows. He's, he knows. He knows. he's He knows he's in trouble. he's He's got switched on Kemba, and now there, there, there's nobody – if you go back to that moment, there's got to be a way to undo that. <laughs> there's there's got to be a way to, to to undo that. But poor Gary McGee's there. And so it. it and the buildup, like it, it's not – it didn't happen quickly. It was Kimba like waving, waving off the screen, sizing up Gary McGee. Like you see it happening. Like you uh, – oh, here we go. You had that moment where you could say, here we go. And then he just he crosses him off. He falls down. He buries the shot. But the thing that stood – the thing that actually gave me the chills when I watched it this morning, the crowd. Mm. Jam-packed Madison Square Garden, everybody yeah. on their feet. You don't get better than that. That is one of the all-time great championship week moments. And I would encourage anybody to go back and watch it because you'll um, – you, first, it, you'll – first, it's just an incredible moment. But, like – it's striking the scene because it's been, yes, it's been I know. so long since it we've is. seen that scene.
0: It, it absolutely is. No, I mean, when you bring up that stuff, just real quick, like we had, I, I don't know, man, last night, Tuesday night was just between all like uh, the, the Gonzaga stuff, you know, Oral Roberts, shouts to Oral Bob, uh, which by the way has the maybe the weirdest statue on campus ever that's going in the no I had to I'm I'm just shoehorning this in because that's going in the no context preview the the massive pair of hands on campus I don't know what's going on with that statue no idea shouts to shouts to Kyle Boone Strongjaw bringing that up there but between they they blow a 25 point lead against North Dakota State but they end up winning you know, Drexel gets into the tournament for the first time since '96. Zach Spiker gets it done. Uh, good on him. Cleveland State, it's amazing turnaround. Dennis Gates, they get the auto bid there as well. We just had, I mean, we had a we had a run last night where just it was it was five leagues got into uh, got their auto bids, and I'm you know we're just about at a year after the fact here, and you know to to finally get. To this point, again, I am just – I am loving this right now, Parrish. I am I am so excited for the next few days of conference tournaments and then the return of the NCAA tournament. Like, it's just really feeling like, yeah, like the weather's getting nicer up here in the northeast. Like, when you land – we're recording before GP's going to fly to New York City. When you land in New York City, it's going to be abnormally warm and good. Like, you're going to feel good getting off the plane, uh, making your way uh, to your hotel room. So, it's just – it's been awesome. Tuesday was great, and, and now we enter in to – just an amazing next few days. Uh, this, I'm not someone who believes that the conference tournament week is better than the first week of the NCAA tournament. There are some people who do think that because there's more games, there's more teams still that have their season alive. And all that stuff, and I get that. I love this week um, for these very reasons. And uh, no auto bids today. We'll have some more in the coming days. And if you want a little heads up reminder on games to keep an eye on here coming up, I mean, plenty of people are going to be getting to this podcast Wednesday in the afternoon. So we're already going to be in we're going to be in bloom with some of the league tournaments there. Uh, some of the games to watch Wednesday night, you know, Duke at Louisville is a six thirty tip approximately. ACC Network. Keep an eye on that. You've got Notre Dame, which won in dramatic fashion at the buzzer, come from behind. I mean, just. Uh, Great job by that team, uh, winning against Wake Forest. They're going to play in North Carolina. That's a approximately nine o'clock tip on ACC Network tonight. We wait and see if Minnesota it, it, is the season going to flame out or not. That's a six thirty tip on the Big Ten Network as well. There's not a ton on Wednesday in terms of compelling stuff because, you know, most of the of the games that matter for bubble teams, most of them will begin on Thursday. Here's a quick heads up and primer on it. Uh, we'll actually have games starting before noon Eastern. Uh, in league tournament play. Oklahoma State will play West Virginia at 11.30 a.m. Mike Boynton, Cowboys coach, told me Tuesday that Cade Cunningham and Isaac Likely are both expected to play. Likely had been out with a foot and a hand issue as of late. Cunningham tweaked his ankle, but they've both been practicing this week. They should be good to go. So that's a good one. And the Michigan State, Maryland, is also an 11.30 a.m. tip that will be Big Ten Network. Uh, Michigan State's almost certainly going to be safe. Uh, I think both teams are probably in. It's just it could be a first four situation for the loser there. I I wouldn't be surprised if that wound up being the case there. Keep an eye on that. St. John's versus Seton Hall at 3 o'clock on Thursday is an elimination game. Loser is not going to make the NCAA tournament. The winner is going to probably have to beat Villanova to start building a case there. I'd keep an eye on that. Boise State, bubble team, 530. CBS Sports Network on Thursday playing Nevada in the Mountain West. I would highly advise winning that game if you're Boise State. Keep an eye on that. I would also highly advise 530, Pac-12 Network, UCLA plays Oregon State. UCLA's resume is not that strong. I hate to say it, GP, but it's true, and you know it. If the Bruins lose to Oregon State, there will be a real case to keep them out of the field. A win, and they're probably going to ultimately be safe. I would win two if I was UCLA to be absolutely secure. A loss to the Beavers, and the Beavers have done... The Beavers outplayed expectations to a certain extent this season. That's just one that you're going to want to keep an eye on there. I do think that happens to be a tricky one. A um, couple other Thursday tips to keep an eye on. I mean, we're just going to be basking in this stuff, people. How? If you're like me, you're absolutely in love with this week. Just the return of this. These are the games we did not get a year ago. Okay, This was, this was the point on the calendar when it all shut down there. Um, Indiana Rutgers, 630, Big Ten Network, you know... Who's is, is, Indiana done? I mean, are they going to lose here? The season's over uh, again. I, I have no reason to believe that Indiana is parting ways with Archie Miller. I would not expect that to happen. Not that it's impossible. I'm just not anticipating that. Um, and then a couple other games to keep an eye on uh, Texas tech versus Texas is a, about a nine thirty 30 tip um, on ESPN on Thursday night. That's clearly uh, a pretty intriguing one. And then we'll have a, a litany of smaller conference tournament games going on. Thursday and Friday will be highly populated uh, across the board. We await to see what the Friday matchups are. We don't know what they are yet, but that's that's your primer on the next couple of days. If you're able to uh, to be at home watching daytime hoops and as we slowly but surely whittle the field and try and uh, and try and shrink the bubble on our way to Selection Sunday,
1: I'm fired up. I'm headed to the airport. Like I'm running late. If we're <laughs> yeah, no, we got to wrap. The last time I was on a plane was March 11th, 2020. I flew home from the CAA tournament. It's now March 10th, 2021. Basically, a year later, I'm getting on a plane, and I cannot wait. Like, I'm going to check in to the hotel, and I'm just going to go for a walk. I miss walking around the city. Um, This is the longest I've gone in my adult life without being there. And so I'm looking forward to getting back, and then obviously the basketball should be be terrific. Before we get out of here... Um, I want to let you guys know about something we're going to be doing Monday. Deadleg and I are hosting a fun, interactive Bracket Engineer event. It's presented by Nissan, and you can be a part of it if you want to. It's going to be Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern. And what it is is an hour-long Zoom call where we're going to be discussing the bracket, discussing strategy, making picks, so on and so forth. Kenny Smith, TNT, going to join us, so that's awesome. And you can register right now to be a part of it. You just go to Nissan Bracket Engineer dot splash that dot com to register it's Nissan bracket engineer dot splash that dot com so go there register again it's Monday 5pm Eastern me dead leg and Kenny the jet Smith shouts to Devin Downey shouts to Chester South Carolina shouts to Terry MF and Teagle legend shouts to Lauren now thank you guys once again listening to the I college basketball podcast middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime Whew. Boy, it's been something. We're going to talk to you again on Friday morning. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or...